tonight in Acts chapter 20, and I'm going to pick back up, I think, and work hard uh, to get finished with the book of Acts. I've been working on it off and on for quite a number of years, and uh, I can't believe we've got 69 lessons and uh, to Acts 20, uh, so that means that we've got probably 20 more uh, that we can dig out of the next eight chapters and uh, maybe more, who knows. Uh, but the word of the Lord is always encouraging. And so I want to start tonight, Acts chapter 20. Let's look in verse 1. Uh, the Bible says, And after the uproar was ceased, Paul called unto him the disciples and embraced them and departed for to go unto Macedonia. Now, I uh, <clears throat> want you to, if you write in your Bibles... And if you're interested in this, uh, underline that word Macedonia and draw your little arrow out to the side and write Europe. Uh, because, because ancient Macedonia is modern-day Europe. Now, Europe comprises a pretty large land mass, uh, but that's what, where Paul was going, departed for to go into Macedonia. And when he had gone over these parts and had given them much exhortation... He came into Greece, and there he abode three months. And when the Jews laid wait for him, as he was about to go to sail into Syria, he purposed to return through Macedonia. And there accompanied un, accompanied him uh, into Asia, into Asia, Sopater of Berea, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus and Gaius of Derby, and Timotheus, uh, who was from Lystra, and of Asia, Tychicus, and Trophimus. And these going before tarried for us at Troas. And we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread and came unto them to Troas in five days where we abode seven days. And so uh, this is just kind of a layout of Paul whenever he is going now into Europe and Asia Minor. I've titled this lesson Heading Into the Home Stretch. And uh, if you turn over a page on the next page, you see I got you a map there. And what you can see uh, is if you see up there Troas, which is going to be up in the upper left quadrant of the map in that area where you see the Aegean Sea. And you see an arrow where it says Eutychus falls and rises, that area right there, Troas. And then you begin to see some arrows, and you see them moving back, coming down. Uh, you see an arrow going toward Ephesus, Miletus, uh, Kos, Rhodes, Patera, Paphos. And then he moves back, and what Paul is doing is Paul is in the home stretch heading back toward Jerusalem. He wants to get there by the Passover. Uh, but he's going to be delayed, and we'll tell you the reason for that here in just a few minutes. And he ends up, once he uh, determines that he can't make it by the Passover, you know, the Passover comes along, and then the next big event, feast day, was the Feast of Pentecost. And so he's delayed from Passover, so he says, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to try our best to get back uh, to Jerusalem there at uh, Pentecost. And so this, this part right here that we find 
uh, is in Paul's third missionary journey, which actually started uh, a few chapters earlier in Acts 18, uh, beginning in verse 23, uh, where you begin to see where that he picks up and he takes off there and begins to move throughout. Now, the third missionary journey uh, is going to be probably, I, I guess you would say, if there was a church that was started that was a plum, uh, that it was like the church. I mean, it, it was the place that every young preacher uh, wanted to have to say, man, that's where I want to pastor at. Uh, it would be established here on this third missionary journey. We've already spent a little bit of time in it back in January. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> and that was in Ephesus. And you remember there were some power encounters that took place there. Uh, where that when Paul went in, the revival started and all of the people that worshiped and served the goddess Diana or Artemis, uh, that they started tearing up their idols and destroying their idols. And uh, it created a huge conflict because there was a silversmith by the name of Demetrius who incited a crowd that it was like a mob. I mean, it they were they were heading for violence because they wanted to kill uh, the Apostle Paul. And the reason for that <clears throat> was because that whenever they got there, uh, they began to destroy their idols. And that was also the part where that you read about that they burnt their books where they were practicing the curious art. So there was a lot of witchcraft. And uh, you remember the uh, sons of Siva that were imposters? The Bible tells us that they decided they were going to cast the devil out of somebody. And uh, uh, this person that was demon-possessed ended up humiliating uh, the sons of Siva and smote them, beat them up, stripped them, and run them out, humiliated them. And you remember, that's where you hear the word, Paul, I know Jesus, I know, but who are you? And that's where that come out of that. So Acts 19, when you start reading Acts chapter 19, there's a lot of power encounters that takes place in uh, that, that segment. So Paul has now moved out of that. So when we read there in Acts chapter 20 and verse 1, it says there, and after the uproar was ceased, the uproar that he was talking about was in the, in the earlier chapter where they were running away from uh, the... Uh, you know, from the bad, I guess you'd call them the bad guys that were there. Uh, now, I thought about this. I've been reading some books here in the last uh, few weeks that is, falls into a genre called historical fiction. And what they do is they take stories from the past and they will meld true facts in uh, with this story and then they kind of create a fictional story around uh, those facts there, and it can be very, I guess you'd say, entertaining uh, reading. It's just a new take to look at sometimes what people would experience as uh, as history uh, that they say, oh, that's all boring, and I don't want to read that. I don't know about history, but if you read historical fiction, then it kind of adds a little bit of a pizzazz to it. Well, when you start reading through uh, <clears throat> the Apostle Paul's life, in fact, there is a book uh, that was written by Jerry Jenkins. And Jerry Jenkins uh, was famous because him and Tim LaHaye wrote those Left Behind series that they started writing back in the, I think it was the late 90s, early 2000s that everybody was reading like mad and now you can buy them for a dollar a piece or 50 cents a piece at, at uh, thrift stores and all that. But 
uh, <clears throat> Jerry Jenkins has written a story about the Apostle Paul. And uh, again, it is fiction, but what he does is he takes scripture and he starts writing the story about Paul's life. There's another uh, man by the name of John Pollock, and John Pollock also wrote a historical fiction book about the Apostle Paul, and whenever you start reading about some of the things that Paul went through, it makes me embarrassed to think sometimes about my own Christianity and my own walk with the Lord because I let hangnails frustrate me, I let stubbed toes get me all upset. I let offenses get in my way. And whenever I start realizing that these men of God paid for the kingdom of God with sweat, blood, and tears, it causes you to look at this thing in a much different way. And I believe that, again, that what we're doing here tonight in this Bible study and even uh, your times in private Bible study, whenever you're reading the scriptures, that what that ought to do is that ought to cause you uh, to be able to say, look, I, I want to serve the Lord with diligence and I want to do everything I can to, to finish my race that the Lord uh, has laid out to, uh, for me. Now, one of the things that, that is very useful uh, whenever we look at this, these six verses is you see Luke is kind of right like he's writing a travel journal. I don't know if you know a travel journal. They've got to where they sell some of these things that you can spend massive amounts of money on writing all these little things where you visit and where you go. When you read these six verses here uh, in Acts 20, uh, Luke is not very much on details. Uh, what Luke does is Luke just describes, we went here, we stopped there, we moved to this place. So whenever you start taking scripture and moving scripture in from cross-referencing and you take the words that Paul wrote in another place, it helps to kind of sharpen the focus. And so with that thought, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, beginning in verse 12, helps us to be able to see a little bit more detail. He says here, he says, Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened unto me of the Lord. And I had no rest in my spirit because I found not Titus, my brother, but taking my leave of them, I went from thence into Macedonia. Now, I want to point out a couple of things here. Look there in where it says verse 13. I've got this. I don't know if they got this up on the screen or not. But anyways, uh, 2 Corinthians 2, 13. Notice where Paul says, I had no rest in my spirit. That right there gives you a human aspect of the apostle Paul. Why did Paul have no rest in his spirit? He tells us, because I found not Titus my brother. Now, why was he concerned about Titus? Because he had sent Titus to go to Corinth. And you remember Corinth was a, it, it was a mess. It was a Pentecostal church, but it was an absolute mess. They had, all, they had brothers and sisters suing each other. Uh, they were abusing the Lord's table. Communion people were coming and taking communion unworthily and were falling out dead. Uh, there was a class consciousness that was going on there where the rich folks kind of got on this side and the poor folks got over here and they were all bringing, I mean, they had turned communion into a potluck and what they would do was whenever they got all their food there, then all the rich folks would gather up and then they'd tell all the poor folks, like, y'all can't eat with us. And Paul was just like, he was like, we've got to get these things taken care of. 
There was a factionalism which had taken place in the church there. Some of them said, well, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Jesus, I'm of Peter. And, and, the, and, and Paul is sending, had immorality in the church, uh, just a lot of chaos. And so Paul sent Titus, who was a young preacher uh, that was under his ministry, he sent him to Corinth, and whenever he comes, he tells him, I want you to meet me at Troas. Well, when Paul gets to Troas, Timothy, I mean, uh, Titus is not there. Now think, there's no, and you know this is elementary, there's no smartphones, there's no email, there's no way to communicate so when Paul gets to Troas and starts looking for Titus because Titus was supposed to meet him there and to give him a report. Whenever he gets there and Titus is not there, Paul's mind goes into overdrive. He knows that there's false teachers in Corinth. He knows that there are people that are creating obstacles there. He realizes that there were persecutions that Paul had to endure, and so in his mind, there is a concern that he has that he thinks, oh no, something has happened to Titus whenever he's at Corinth. Now you think about that, you, especially for those, oh, those of us that have uh, you know, young men you know, that, are, that are grown. Uh, Brother Paul Miller's got sons, Brother... John Butler's got son. They're out of the house, uh, but you're still a concern. And you send those young men to go and to take care of something, and then they don't come back and meet you. And then you start trying to figure out things in your mind. It's like, oh, you know how your mind can get. It can go into over. Where are they at? What are they doing? How, I know they done had a wreck. They, you know, done, done got whatever. Okay, we think about those things. And here's Paul. Paul says, I had no rest in my spirit because I found not my brother Titus. And so taking leave of them, he goes on and he moves in uh, to, to, um, uh, to, to Europe. Uh, and then he finds out, he, Titus does finally get back and, and, um, and there's a resolution that comes about and he understands Titus comes and reports to him what's going on. And we find out about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. And look with me to verse 5. The Bible says, Therefore, when we were come into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. I love this phrase right here. In fact, I've got it underlined uh, in my Bible. And I will point it out to you and maybe you can, you can relate to this, uh, but look there in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and look at that phrase in verse uh, chapter 7 and verse 5. Note, notice what he says. He says, For when we were coming to Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. And here's what he says. He says, Without were fightings and within were fears. Have you ever been in that place? Where that the world that you looked at on the outside, that there was fighting and there was challenge and all of that was going on on the outside. And then, not only were you contending with the battle on the outside, Paul says there are fears that got in on the inside. But notice what else he says. 
He says, nevertheless, God that comforteth those that are cast down, he comforted us by the coming of Titus. And you can imagine the relief that comes into Paul's mind whenever Titus shows up and he's like, I was so worried about you, Titus. I was so concerned about you and not by his coming only, but by the consolation wherewith he was comforted in you because he told us of your earnest desire and your mourning and your fervent mind toward me so that I rejoice the more. Now, when you read 1 Corinthians, and I know a lot of you have read 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians is a sharp 15 chapters of rebuke for the most part. Paul is getting on their hide. Now, I know there's some preachers they enjoy. <clears throat> they used to say this. It used to bother me when they would say that. Boy, we skint the sheep. I'm gonna tell you, don't ever trust a preacher that brags about skinning sheep. And, and, and y'all trust me. I know some of you can't even hardly fathom this in your mind. But sometimes I get in here and I get to preaching and I get to moving and I'm thinking, oh dear God. But I'm not doing it from a malicious sense. I'm trying to save us. I'm trying to be a watchman on the wall and I'm trying to say, look y'all, when we get to heaven, it's gonna be worth it all. And so here's what Paul says. Paul, Paul says, he said, look, he said, I know. He said, I was comforted because I said some pretty sharp things to you and yet you told, and Titus told us about your earnest desire, your mourning or your repentance and your fervent mind toward me so that I rejoice the more. And for though I made you sorry with a letter, I don't repent of that, though I did repent. You see where he's kind of, I won't say he's waffling, but he's saying what I had to do was not something I enjoyed doing and I wrestled on the inside. He said, but I perceive that the same epistle that made you sorry, though it for a season, he said, I'm rejoicing now, not that you were made sorrow, sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance for you were made sorry after a godly manner that you might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world, it works death. Now this is a powerful scripture right here and I'm getting off on a rabbit trail. Forgive me, but let's look at it. Look in verse 11. He says, for behold, this selfsame thing that ye sorrowed after a godly sort. And then here's what he says. He said, what carefulness it brought in you. What clearing of yourselves. What indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what revenge. In all these things, you have approved yourself to be clear in this matter of what I've talked to you about. When you look at verse 11, verse 11 is a very clear picture of what repentance ought to do to every one of us. 
And what Paul is saying is he's saying, what, you know, when, when you, you read that letter and when Titus said everything it had, it brought some carefulness. It worked in you. It, it caused you to clear yourself out. There was indignation. You're like, how in the world could I be caught up in acting like this? That's what, that's what every preacher, apostle, prophet, evangelist, teacher, five-fold ministry, that's what they're getting at is verse 11. It's whenever they preach repentance, what they're wanting to do is to stimulate what Paul talked about there in verse 11. I don't, took a lot of time to tell you about, about the, the fightings on the outside and the fears that were on the inside. But anyways, that is what that part. So we get to this chapter and uh, we're gonna look at some things. Acts chapter 20 is a favorite chapter of mine. One of the reasons that is a favorite chapter is because of the charge that Paul gives to the Ephesian elders uh, there. And I will spend probably quite a bit of time whenever I do get to that uh, particular passage where that he starts talking uh, to them. But, but here we find where uh, that we'll get to this next time. Eutychus falls out the window because Paul, I love this in verse eight, as Paul was long preaching, and I know there's been a few times when I was long preaching and some of you sunk down with sleep. Thank God you didn't fall out of the third loft, okay? Uh, you just sunk down with sleep. But uh, anyways, and then there is another part. I want you to look at verse 19. I love this scripture as well. He says, serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying in the weight of the Jews. I've write, written this down in the front of several of my Bibles and it's, that's this. The making of a minister and I would even also, the making of a saint is gonna be through many tears and temptations. That there will be that part that whenever you realize that there will be tears and temptations that make that person to become uh, what they are. So uh, Paul comes along and uh, he works through that. Now let's get to this part about moving in to the home stretch. Talk to you about the persecution uh, that it, he experienced there. Uh, there are times whenever it is the will of God uh, that Paul was delivered. There was other times where that Paul had to endure the, the suffering hand of persecution. And, uh, and, and this was one of the times in Acts 19 where uh, that God overruled the spirits of men and Paul was able to move on. Now there's rich, rich promises that comes to us whenever we begin uh, to, to realize that the Lord, whatever takes place, whether it's deliverance or whether it's damage, I wanna read some promises uh, to you here tonight. Let's turn back uh, to Psalm 65. These are things to keep in mind whenever you are at the point uh, of some kind of persecution and the persecution can come from a variety of different places. But look with me, uh, this is a promise uh, for you to keep in mind whenever you're enduring difficult things. Psalm 65 and seven, this is a promise that comes from the Lord. 
which stealeth the noise of the ways, the noise of or the noise of the seas, and the noise of their ways, and the tumult of the people. Now I want you to back up and let's look at Genesis 28 and 15. Genesis 28 and 15. Here's something else. This is another promise. Uh, that you can underline in your Bible, that that you can see that whenever the Lord uh, has you whatever, in in whatever situation, uh, this is where that Jacob uh, received a blessing and a promise from the Lord, Genesis 28, 15, and behold, I am with thee and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest and will bring thee again into this land, for I will not leave you until I have done that which I have spoken unto you of. That's a promise. Now let's look at another one. Let's turn to Isaiah 41. Isaiah chapter 41, and let's look in verse 10. When I read these, I'm sure that you will recognize uh, this, but Isaiah chapter 41 And let's look in verse 10. Here is what uh, the scripture says. It's a promise for for all circumstances. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, and yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Turn over one page and look with me to chapter 43. Chapter 43 and verse one, the Bible says there, but now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee, I have called thee by thy name, thou art mine. And when thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee, and through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, Thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. Again, that is a promise that whenever we are advancing the kingdom of heaven, that we can understand these are promises that can come into our lives. And there are times where uh, that, that whether it's deliverance or whether it's damage, that we can still know that the Lord is with us and he is working throughout our lives. So, Again, whenever you uh, look at, at Paul's actions, what, what does Paul do? Whenever uh, the Bible says, and after the uproar was ceased, Paul called unto him the disciples and embraced them and departed for to go into Macedonia. Now, I want you to notice something about the apostle Paul. Paul was a man uh, who obviously had a lot of apostolic authority in his life, and he very well could have been very angry about what had taken place there in in Ephesus. And yet he did not stir himself to anger. He, He did not get all stirred up. He decided that what he wanted to do was that he wanted to do what was best for that church. And that's where that we can look at Paul, he probably desired to continue his ministry there to go back and say, I'll tell you what, we got a foothold now and we're, we're gonna go back in here and we're just gonna plow this thing even down even further. But he knew that if he was to go back into that place, that it very well could be the point where that it would cause more persecution. So what he did was he kind of backed away. 
And we read about the charge that he gives to them there in uh, Acts chapter 20, uh, where he talks about, he says, after my departing, uh, there are gonna be wolves that are gonna rise up from among you, and then you can even look in the book of Ephesians and if you look at the verbs throughout the book of Ephesians, you keep seeing where that Paul is encouraging that church there uh, at Ephesus, even though it's in his absence. Now remember this about the Ephesian letter. It's one of the prison epistles. It was one of the ones that Paul wrote while he was locked up in prison. And uh, Ephesians being a prison epistle, and yet it is very doctrinal, and, and yet you, you get to that part where that he concludes in verse 10, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, put on the whole armor of God, and then he starts working down through all of those pieces of armor. And then to see the longevity of the church. Obviously, I would say uh, that what Paul did was right because when you look uh, in Revelation chapter two, John there on Patmos uh, receives that vision and here's what he says about the church in Ephesus. There in verse uh, chapter two, Revelation two and verse one, uh, he says unto the angel of the church at Ephesus, right? And then verse two, he says, I know your works and your labor and your patience and how you cannot bear them which are evil and you tried them which say they are apostles and they are not and you found them liars. You born and you have patience and my namesake, hey, you have labored for my namesake, you've labored, you have not fainted. That was a strong church. I mean, they were, they were doing it. Now, the only thing that, that John, that the Lord sees, he tells John, he says, now, John, he said, you tell them. He said, I've just got one thing against them. They've left their first love. That's where you gotta be careful whenever you're strong doctrinally, uh, whenever you're strong to stand up for holiness. You have to be careful because sometimes in the strength of you holding holiness or holiness standards, you can dump over into legalism. And whenever you fall over into legalism, all you do is you just keep in a bunch of rules. And you can lose your love for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that was where that they were at. However, a strong, strong church. And so again, in those first two verses where uh, that, that uh, Paul or Luke is writing, he doesn't go into a lot of detail, uh, but we can gather it up and I'm not gonna go through all uh, of those scriptures there, but in 2 Corinthians 2 and 12, we see where that Paul uh, waited for Titus. Uh, Acts 19, 22, there was a meeting with Timothy most likely in Thessalonica to gather reports as to what was taking place in the churches uh, that he was being involved there. So from all of these passages of scripture, uh, it, it, again, it's like, a, it's like a travel journal. And I, I want you to, uh, when, when you read scripture, that's one of the things about um, Professor Grant Horner, you can look that up online. Professor Grant Horner's got a Bible reading uh, program, and if you've downloaded, uh, there's several Bible apps that you can download. The Version uh, has got Grant Horner's reading plan in it, and what you do is you read 10 chapters a day, 
And what it does is it, it seems like when you start, you're like, man, this is mass confusion. But as you read through it, what happens is, is it cycles you through various places throughout the Bible so that whenever you get through with reading the 10 chapters a day, you do it five days a week, but by the time you get to the end of the year, what you've done is you've cross-referenced and you've read in various places throughout Scripture so that instead of you just kind of reading consecutively through Scripture, by taking all of these different views and looks at Scripture, what it does is it helps you to cross-reference. And so that's what takes place. The more you have the ability to cross-reference, to be able to pull this detail out of the book of Galatians and tie that up to what took place in uh, the book of Acts. It helps strengthen your knowledge of the word of God. I started to say uh, this to you here tonight whenever I read Acts chapter 20, uh, verses one through six. I started to say this to you, I'll say it now. But when I read Acts 20, verses one through six, and all the rest of these verses that I have read out loud, you have heard the audible voice of God. It's not my voice. And some people say, give me a word, give me a word, give me a word. You see people running off to conferences and they want some prophet to stand up and give them a word. Give me a word. I got a word for you. Sit down at a table and open your Bible up and read your Bible. But most people are like, oh, no, that's not, that's not the kind of word I'm wanting. <laughs> and that's about the case. We, we want people to read our minds and, and get up and do all this stuff whenever if you would read Scripture, the voice of God could speak very clearly to you. Turn, turn to Proverbs chapter 6. I'll tell you what I did when I was praying, and forgive me for the personal reference, but maybe it'll help you. Look at Proverbs chapter six, and I want you to look with me to verse 16. Proverbs six and 16. I was praying for our country tonight, and I was praying specifically against uh, some of what I believe the spirits that are controlling some of these things that are taking place in our nation right now, and this is what I prayed. I said, God, these are the things you hate and seven are an abomination to you. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked imaginations, feet that are swift and run into mischief, a false witness that speaks lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. And I prayed these words. I said, Lord, if there are spirits that are operating in this way, I'm just asking you, I know some people are bold and they just stand up and they command the Lord to do this and that and the other. I'm very hesitant. In fact, I'm never gonna command the Lord to do anything, okay? I'm gonna pray and respectfully request and that's what I did. I said, Lord, now you, this is your word and you say you hate this kind of stuff and if there are people that are involved in this, I'm asking you to stop them dead in their tracks now, here's the qualifying part on the prayer. I said, Lord, I said, if they have not already been turned over to a reprobate mind, because I believe some of them are already in Romans 1, 
and that their minds are already so shot that God could not even talk to them or stop them. But I did pray, Lord, if there are some that are foolishly have gotten caught up with all of that, I'm asking you whatever you can do to send somebody in their direction so that they will be converted. That, that's, that's the goal right there. We want people converted. We want people to have their lives changed. So uh, when you start putting all these passages of scriptures here uh, tonight, then, then understand that it could be like a travel journal. I wanna point this out. This is Paul being very faithful at what the Lord has called him to do. What did he do? He just quietly served and he exhorted much. That, that's what Luke, see there uh, in verse two, when he had gone over these parts and had given them much exhortation, he came uh, unto, uh, he came unto uh, Greece. Now, let's look at Titus chapter two. I've got those out there for you. Um, and for those you folks that are on YouTube, um, and I don't have your, um, email address, uh, Clay, either you or Matt, could y'all put my email address so that they'll have it? Um, if you want these, if you want these notes, then send me an email, and I will send these notes to you. Now, understand this: I'm not your pastor. <laughs> okay, I'm sending these notes to you. You filter them through whatever your pastor's thoughts are. You take them, but I'm pastor here, so these folks trust me, but I'm gonna share these notes uh, with you if you desire to have them. But I want us to look at Titus 2. I've got this for those of you that have the notes. Titus 2, look in verse 11. This is a powerful scripture. It says, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works, these things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise you. Okay, notice that word there where he says exhort. Hebrews chapter three, verse 13, but exhort one another daily. Encourage, inspire, equip one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. You realize that sin can harden up your mind and your spirit and it can cause you to lose your ability to sense the presence of God and, and the word cannot work on hard hearts that are hard. We see that in Matthew 13 whenever the Lord talk, talks about the parable of the sower, the seed is strewn out and it hits that hard wayside and bounces off and then the birds come down and, and they take it away. Hebrews 10 and 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, encouraging one another, helping one another, 
and so much the more as you see the day approaching. May God grant those qualities to all of us here tonight that we would be an encouragement and an inspiration to those of you that are sitting across from each other, people sitting behind you, around you, that you are an encouragement to those particular people. That's what true apostolic ministry uh, begins to look like. And, and so again, uh, we find something else out that Paul was doing. Turn uh, with me for a moment to 1 Corinthians 16. Not only was he exhorting them, but the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 16, let's look in verse five. Here is what he says. He says, now I, shall, now I will come unto you when I shall pass through Macedonia, for I, do pass through, for I do pass through Macedonia, and it may be that I will abide, yea, and winter with you, that you may bring me on my journey whithersoever I go. For I will not see you now by the way, but I trust to tarry, uh, a while with you if the Lord will permit. And I'm gonna tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost. Now, when you look at that part where that Paul is working, what is he doing? He's gonna go through there and he's gonna, get, he's gonna collect an offering. He's gonna get some money. Now, how do we know that? Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter eight. 2 Corinthians chapter eight. And here's what he says. He says, moreover, brethren, we do you to wit or know of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in great trial of affliction and abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and I beyond power, they were willing of themselves praying us that with as much entreaty that we should receive the gift and take upon the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first they gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God, insomuch that we desired Titus that as he had began, so that he would finish in, the, in, finish in you the same grace also. And then, therefore, as ye abide in everything in faith, and utterance and knowledge and in all diligence and in your love to us see that ye abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment but by occasion of the forwardness of others and to love and to prove the sincerity of your love. And so he begins to talk about look down in uh, to verse 14. But by an equality that now by your at this time, your abundance may be a supply for their want and their abundance also may be a supply for your want that there may be an equality. For as it is written, he that had gathered much had nothing over and he that had gathered little had no lack. But thanks be to God which put the same earnest care for your heart of Titus unto you for he accepted the exhortation, but being more forward of his own accord, he went unto you. Now again, Paul is speaking to this matter and he does this in, in chapter eight and he also does this in chapter nine. He talks about in verse 
uh, 6 of chapter 9, but this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall also reap sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully, he will reap bountifully every man according as he purposed in his heart. So let him give not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound toward you that you always having all sufficiency in all things may abound unto every good work. So he gets in and there's a lot that's in these two chapters but basically Paul is working toward that part that he's taking up an offering from these churches so that he can take it back and bring financial assistance there to the church in uh uh, in 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 Jerusalem. Now now again, why did Paul do that? Is because Paul had a love for those that were trapped in the in, caught up in the trap of persecution. He he had some compassion for them. He also knew that there was a famine uh, that had devastated Israel. You read about that in Acts eleven. Uh, he had a concern for the church because he knew this. If the Corinthian church will give so that the church in Jerusalem can benefit, what it's going to do is it's going to create a boundary, I guess you would say, or a connection, a bond uh, between Jews and Gentiles. And then the last thing that you see is he had a desire to give sacrificially. Now, there's a direct connection between us giving and us loving. 1 John 3, 16, Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whosoever hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels or emotions of compassion from him, how dwell the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Giving is very much an important part of our relationship with God. And again, the only reason I'm throwing that in there is because when you cross-reference out and you start realizing what Paul was doing, Paul was receiving money so that he could take it back and he could give it uh, to the church there in Jerusalem. I want to chase a little bit of a rabbit here before we go. I want you to turn with me to chapter 1 Timothy chapter 6. And let's look at chapter 1 Timothy chapter 6. If you want to be involved in apostolic ministry, uh, here is something that Paul says to us. Uh, look in verse 6 of chapter 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and they have pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So Paul gives a caution to Timothy about the pursuit of money. I'm afraid that one of the biggest challenges that the American Christianity at large is there are people that have gotten rich off of the gospel. 
They, 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 they are living in palatial homes. They're taking extravagant vacations. They literally, the clothes they wear, the cars they drive, tells me that they love this material kingdom more than they love the eternal kingdom. Now, I'm not saying that, that preachers need to live in, in poverty, but I am telling you this. There's times where I start looking around and I get a little confused because I'm like, I thought we were members of the kingdom of heaven. As Brother Arnold would say, it's so quiet in here you could hear a rat eating ice. Now I know I'm not talking to y'all, but anyway, I'm just, I just want to, if, if I let scripture guide my ministry, I am not here to get rich. I'm here to live, I'm gonna say comfortably, but my God should not be money. It ought to be that part where that we say, okay, if we love the kingdom of God, then there's gonna be a part where that we say, okay, then what are we gonna do? Then we're gonna build. We're gonna, we're gonna move missionaries. We're gonna do everything we can to invest in the gospel. And I, I again, this scripture, and I, I've had this conversation numerous times over the years with ministers in various places, usually at restaurants. I, I just want to tell you what Paul said to Timothy in first century Ephesus applies to me in 21st century Dothan, Alabama. And he said, I've got a choice, but thou, O man of God, you flee these things and you follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Those are the things that you are to go after. Fight the good fight of faith and lay hold on eternal life whereunto thou art also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. I'm gonna tell you right now, understand this. A man of God is marked by what he flees from, what he follows after, and what he fights for. That is the mark of a man of God's life. We are to flee from the things of this world. We are to follow after the principles of godliness that are set in these scriptures. And we are to fight the good fight of faith and know that eternal life, that, that's, that's ultimately what we're getting for. And there's a finish line. And we're gonna get to that finish line. And we'll pick back up next Wednesday night uh, with verse um, two and three. <laughs> I had intended to teach all the way through this lesson tonight, but I'm sorry I got to chasing rabbit trails. I hope you got something out of it. I pray that the scriptures are always clear. And uh, again, know this, I'm trying to save myself as much as I'm trying to help you. Amen. Let's stand. And let's lift our hands to the Lord and let's just thank him for his word. Lord, I'm thankful for your word. I'm thankful, Lord, for the prayer meeting. Lord, I, I felt the liberty and the authority of the Holy Ghost while, Lord, we were praying. 
And Lord, I felt liberty here, God, while we have been teaching your word. And I pray, Lord, tonight that, God, that this word would settle in richly and deeply into every one of our hearts. Help us to be able to give ourselves completely and unceasingly to your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Well, the Lord bless you. Keep this in mind. We're starting Sunday morning.